landed at the Friday Five podcast. All right, guys, welcome to a very special episode of the Friday Five podcast. We are doing a Game of Thrones tribute. It's been a couple weeks since the series finale. I was about to say season finale. I, I wish it was still the season finale. I was like, who can I bring in that could do this justice? I know of only one man. His name is Michael Whalen. Uh, he's a good friend of mine, and he's here with us today. What's up? <laughs> that's that's pretty much it. Show's over. Game of Thrones. What's up? <laughs> You're kind of the guy that got me into it. We'll discuss that a little bit more in a second. All but right. I mean, you're you're pretty much my go-to for any questions <laughs> about the show. Yeah. Because, I mean, you've read the books. and mm, Kind of over the years just developed, I guess, uh, somewhat inadvertent uh, encyclopedic knowledge of it, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Definitely helps to know somebody like that. Because yeah. I'm, I'm the kind of guy who's watching the show and, like, has my phone open that mm. lists all the characters. And I'm yeah. like... Wait, my guy hasn't shown up in seven seasons, but anyways, it's but it's like I could have used this for something, you know, useful in life, but no, nope, that's right. <laughs> Fantasy <laughs> characters and fake history. Yeah, all right up here. Absolutely. So, but we're going to dive into a lot of that, give a lot of our opinions and breakdown of the show. And it's just going to be a variety of topics that we, you know, will introduce to you and then we'll just kind of dive into them. The biggest thing here is I do want to say if you've never seen the show don't listen because we're treating it as if you have seen every single episode of the show. And also, if you uh, have any interest in reading the books, we're going to be covering a lot of topics here, like where they diverge, you know, where the books ended, the fact that the show wound up going beyond them and whatnot. So if you have any intention of reading the books, you might also want to hold off on this one until, you know, you finished. Yeah, I mean, start reading the books now and maybe, maybe if you're a slow reader. Once you've reached the end of the last book that's been released, maybe the new one will be out. All the way to 2024. <laughs> he did say 2020 recently, didn't he? Uh, he said something about it. it was at a uh, some kind of con he, or he, something. He's If he doesn't show up at this con with the book in hand. The New Zealand thing. Yeah. It was, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He said a lot of things. Yeah. Such as, oh, yeah, it's going to be a trilogy. Five <laughs> books into the non-completed trilogy. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Well, there's your spoiler warning. And let's... Man, let's kick it off. Let's kick off our Game of Thrones tribute. I mean, I think the most obvious place to start is what introduced us to the world of Westeros, whether it be the books or just the show or whatever. And I'll let you start with that one because I... Fair enough. Uh, the thing that brought me into it was my ex-girlfriend, who I won't name on here just in case, but... Uh, it would have been around, I believe it was 2009, and, you know, she and I were just discussing various books and whatnot, and she told me that, you know, one of her favorite series was A Song of Ice and Fire, which I had heard of, and, you know, if you peruse through, like, the sci-fi section or something like that, you're all, you know, it's one of the big ones, you're always going to see it kind of up there, but I'd never really checked it out, and she was like, no, no, seriously, you have to read this, and I'm trying to think of a nice way to put this, I'm not... I like fantasy okay, but it's like 90% of what's out there seems to me sort of like just glorified Tolkien fan fiction. And yeah. so... Well, there's so much to choose from. Too. Yeah. I mean, and it, so it takes a lot to actually get me to actually pay attention to something. She was like, trust me on this. And then for Christmas that year, you know, she comes over and presents me with a present. I open it. It is the first book, Game of Thrones. Was that the most recent book that was out at that time? 1996 was when the first book came out. I got you. So, I must yeah. have missed when you said 2009. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it's kind of insane that 96. 
Well, and I mean, we'll kind of <laughs> jump ahead to this later, but yeah. <laughs> that's kind of the fun of it. It's like the first ones, they came out in 96, I believe 98 and 2000. Yeah. Then he changed his mind about something, and then I think book four came out in 2005, and then the most recent one came out in 2011. So, okay. And here we sit all these years later, and one completed show later. <laughs> Entire show has been completed, yeah. Even books about the series that he's written that aren't part of the main series. And we're still waiting for six to seven. So. so it's probably safe to say that when the show started, or when you heard about the show, you were all in. Mm, I don't know about all in. I At that point, like I heard about the show coming before I had actually finished the books. I finished the books probably... Okay, that's right. Yeah. Maybe about a year before the show came on. So by the time I finished the books, I was well. Okay, I should say finished what was available. Yeah. Because the first book did come out. You know, after her. Or I'm sorry, the fifth book came out after the first season. And okay, see, I didn't realize that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. And so at that point, you know, I had finished the four books, and by that point, I was very excited. But like when I just first heard about it, it was like, huh, I'm reading this. HBO fantasy series with Sean Bean. That sounds kind of intriguing. Yeah. And, like, when I, I remember at one point I was, I think I was looking it up, and she was like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, well, I heard there's going to be a TV series. She's like, absolutely do not Google another thing about this. Stop. <laughs> yeah. And as we now know, she was right to tell me that. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, my, my, I guess my introduction to the show is a little bit, it's not much of a story. I mean... I remember you mentioning it. You mm. you brought it up to me a few times, just yeah. in passing. I didn't really know what it was. I knew nothing mm. about it. But, you know, I saw the trailer for season two. That's the very first thing I ever saw Game of Thrones related. Mm. Um, it debuted, the season two trailer. It had uh, Florence and the Machine, the song Seven Devils, which I, I like her. And I, I knew the song. Worked her way into the show eventually. But yeah, 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 yeah it's true. And... I was hooked from that trailer. I mean, it was just so well done. I was like, this is pretty cool. And, mm. you know, we had a Netflix account and this is when you, we still got DVD sent to our house. <laughs> so what I did was I, you know, got the game of Thrones, the game of Thrones. I got game mm. of Thrones season one sent to the house, which I think it was only, I think it was only two discs. Maybe. Mm. I mean, I think they packed maybe five on each. I don't know. It's hard to remember. It's been a while and I, could be wrong. I seem to remember that Netflix back in those days, sometimes like you would order a series and they would send you like half of it. Yeah, yeah. And you, it, was it was always like, kind of... It yeah. was still, like, per disc. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> we just send you the series. Instead of just, like, if it's five-disc series and you're ordering five, ah, eh, here's two of them. Yeah. But I remember now watching it. send those it. back and you can finish. I remember putting it on and watching it, and it, it took me probably only about 20 minutes, and I was just absolutely hooked. Um, Yeah, I, they definitely know how to get you. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of the shows, and we... I mean, I think I can go ahead and mention this, but the fact that... The main character, in my mind, mm. Ned Stark, dead. <laughs> I was like, I, I remember going into the living room and mm. telling Becky, I was like, oh, I've never seen that. I mean, I'm sure it's probably happened in TV shows, but I've who's going to be on the show now? <laughs> and I mean, you do occasionally, of course, have a book or something where the main character dies at the end, but usually yeah. that's in a series of exactly one book. Yeah, yeah, Not, yeah. oh, we've got more at wow, you guys just basically killed Aragorn. But I, I had HBO added. <sighs> I, I finished uh, season one just in time for the season mm. two premiere. And I finally got my wife into it around season three, and she was hooked also. Mm. 
So that's kind of my star with it. Um, I mean, I guess casting Sean Bean as Ned Stark was a little bit of a tell during <laughs> the large amount of on-screen deaths. This might has, not but go yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's a man for the job. I was I was hooked ever since. <clears throat> yeah. What what's the, what's the part that just completely hooked you? I mean, do you remember or? I mean, like I said, by that point, I'd read the four books and the show was coming. So just I knew I was in. Yeah, like the night it premiered. I remember, you know, again, me and the aforementioned ex-girlfriend, you know, met up in my apartment, watched the first episode. And it was like, okay, yeah, so far they pretty much nailed this, like almost perfectly. Like the first couple chapters of the book, it's like, yeah, almost beat for beat. And I'm not like what I would call a purist when it comes to, you know, obviously adaptation there's going to be some liberties taken it's about capturing the spirit not you know dead on but it's like that first episode they pretty much it's like if you really first handful of chapters like yep that's pretty much exactly you know like it was like all the important beats are just hit so yeah but now you you told me there was a part during the first I, i believe first season that you pretty much you know it just went off in your head you figured out one of the biggest yeah um Shout out to my friend Cameron, who will probably be listening to this, because I'll make him. Uh, he, I remember we were discussing it during season one, and I was at the time rereading the first book, like just watching the show and rereading the book, because I guess I had a lot of free time on my hands or something. And at one point he just asked me, he's like, so who's Jon Snow's mom? And I said, uh, I actually don't know. We're not there in the book. And he was like, I mean, she's obviously somebody, right? And I was like, huh, obviously. And I started paying more careful attention to a lot of the clues in the first book. And I remember the night I got to the point, it's like there's uh, sort of after the fight with Jamie when Ned breaks his leg and whatnot. This is in the book and the show, it goes down a little differently. But he's having like a fever dream and he's dreaming of the Tower of Joy where he went to rescue his sister, Lyanna Stark, who... You know, as it's said early in the book, died of a fever. And yeah. I remember reading it kind of more with the in detective mode and less in just along for the ride mode and realized that I'm reading it. Wait a minute. He came back with a baby. He won't talk about her. He won't talk about the baby's mother. It's a big gen. Oh my God. John is the son of Rhaegar and Lyanna. Yeah. It all makes sense now. It just kind of like had this like frantic moment, like called cameras like, dude, you're not gonna believe this. <laughs> and then true to form. And uh, Audrey was always good. About, <clears throat> my ex-girlfriend was always good about this. You know, got off phone, called her, told her about it. And she's like, <sighs> I raised it was like a hundred times. Not the case. No. And I was just like, I, but how could you not see it? You've read this many times. Yeah. You're practically obsessed with the series and never, that's never occurred to you. I'm picturing you in a room like one of those old detective scenes, like with pictures on the wall and yarn going from each one. <laughs> would have been a good idea. Might would have made the point a little better. Maybe yeah. a nice PowerPoint presentation, you know, <laughs> yeah. highlight this and this. And I mean, I, I don't know if I ever won her over to it because she was um, stubborn to say the least, but it's kind of funny because... Meanwhile, on the other side of this, she had a, as I saw it, you know, just completely out of left field theory, which was, she just mentioned one day, is like, see, I think Danny's going to be the villain. And I, and that's the one where I called BS. It was just like, yeah. Oh, come on. You're not going to write that. All this 
Really? You're going to set her up like that and then she's going to be the villain? Oh, come, nah. That'll never happen. What was I wrong? Yeah, so, I, mean, I yeah. mean, I guess looking back on it, of course, they give you hints in the books, I'm sure, in the show. But at the well, same time, th- yeah. And I mean, have, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you have somebody with dragons. What would be bigger than having that person <laughs> yeah. turn out to be the, the villain? I yeah, mean, it's basically the person with the nukes. So, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. or the weapons of mass destruction, at least. And, and I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, I, I had no problem admitting, yeah, I was wrong about it. And I think part of it was just sort of that hopeful, you know, you in a twisted sort of way, kind of hope this is going to all end happy, even though you theoretically ought to know better when they cut the main character's head off in the freaking end of season <laughs> one. But yeah. Yeah. This isn't going to be your normal uh, TV show. Well, right? As the old, uh, you know, there's a famous quote from Ramsey Bolton, you know, if you think this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. And what was that ever true? Um, but, you know, like I said, that's just one of those kind of moments where she, you know, she nailed it basically like I nailed one mystery and she nailed the other. And we both like vehemently disagreed with each other on, you know, what that yeah. was. But, you know, like I said, and, and yes, if you do go back and read it and actually, you know, the tracks are laid, you know, like you definitely can see, OK, yeah, this all makes sense now, like in hindsight. And I recognize a lot of people don't want to see that, but it'll get it's to that easy later. to overlook it at the time, because, I mean, a yeah. lot of the. You know, a lot of the brutal stuff that she's doing throughout the show, at least, is kind of justified. But I think a lot, even though it's some of it is justified, I think she yeah. does go above and beyond in some of the brutality. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, I mean yeah, like you said, though, it's one of those things. It's like the death rays turned on, you know, I mean, that's kind of covered in you know, one of the final episodes, you know, the evil people. Yeah. The evil people. Okay. Well, now it's not. Now we have a problem. <laughs> you know, but yeah. What's yeah. your opinion like? I, you know, one, one of the topics we want to talk about is... You know, what do you feel is like the overall theme of the show? What was the driving force behind the show? It's it's kind of just a lust for power. I see it. I mean, that's not well in a roundabout way, but not really. Like I think the Iron Throne is. I always thought one of the greater end jokes of the series was the fact that the Dothraki repeatedly refer to it as a chair, like. Yeah. As you know, like Danny's explaining this whole thing to Drogo, and he's like, "So all you men in iron suits are fighting over a chair." Well, I think that's definitely the the selling point for Danny. At least is the lust for power. I mean, she well, are I regaining. Mean, if we're talking overall themes, or we talk character themes? Because we're talking overall themes. Well, yeah, I guess, matter. I guess because, over, I guess overall themes. Yeah. All right. Well, in a nutshell, I mean, and it did evolve over time, but it's like originally I was under the impression that the overall you know, kind of theme of it all was about humanity being able, kind of in its darkest hour, to put old hostilities aside and work together for the greater good. Yeah. As we eventually saw, nope, that's not what it was at all. It was, yes, we can do that. We can defeat Hitler. And then we can immediately go back to the petty BS and just start sniping each other again and fight a nice Cold War. No, I really like that you said that because it's it's a lot of... It, it's a good representation of the real world. Like you just yeah. said, it's like, wouldn't it be nice if we could do that? And if <laughs> you get, there's yeah. no way it's going to work. Right. And yeah. that's what 90% of fantasy is basically most of the time. It's, I mean, that's basically what Tolkien was, you know, that same kind of concept, you know, old hostilities between the, or yeah, the, what? yeah, I can't talk old hostilities between the elves and the dwarves and, you know, man, and they put it aside and they fight for the greater good. 
doesn't really follow up on, you know, but, oh yeah, no, after that, but yeah. But then you have Cersei Lannister. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you know, and I mean, that, that's one, I don't want to get too Lord of the Ringsy here, but I mean, that is one of the parallels is, you know, people kind of forget this, but like in the book, Sauron actually kicks off about midway through the final book. And then they go back and deal with like scouring the Shire and Saruman and all that. But, you know, so that's something he has in common with the Night King. But at the same time, you know, like I said, I think basically, even as the show ends and foreseeably the books, should they ever end, ultimately the true villain is humanity or just human nature itself. Because, yeah. you know, there's really no overriding that. You know, there's no getting rid of, like I said, fighting over petty, you know, petty things when actual real things matter. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, she was never really willing to to come together, though. I mean, that, that yeah, I mean, kind of like you already said, I mean, she was the standalone, this is what I'm going to do, this is my plan, screw the rest of you. If, you know, I think I think she definitely saw the, uh, the White Walkers and, you know, as a means to an end, they're going to help wipe out, you know, well, let, let them... Let them kill each other, basically. Let them wipe out half their army. I or, mean, who are we talking about at this point? Cersei. Okay. Because I thought you were talking about Danny for a second and was looking no. at you crossways. Anyway, no, sorry. sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm, I'm just, you know, especially near the end of the show, I think she saw it as we have what we have here. By the time that they finish killing each other, if there's anything left, we'll just wipe out the rest of them. Well, and again, and that's one of the important things about Cersei that does get discarded from time to time. It's like she is a very intelligent character, but she's nowhere near as smart as she thinks she is. And, you know, by making that gamble, okay, sure. What if they'd lost? But as far as, like, the the standalone villain of the show throughout the entire show, I mean, I, that's kind of hard because you don't really know, you know, as far as Danny, you don't really know that she's the true villain until... You know. Well, and the thing is, as I said, I don't think Danny's the true villain. Human yeah. nature is the true villain. Yeah. And human nature is still on the board, even as it ends, because, like I said, you can't fight it, really. But let's say between, like, Cersei and the Night King. I mean, I would still go with Cersei. I mean, the Night... When I look at the Night King, I look at somebody that was created to kill. I mean, that there's no moral compass there. I mean, it's... it's He has one goal, is to wipe out humanity. Right. He's not making a decision to do it. He's, or is he? I mean, does he have... He turned on his creators, which is, you know, one of the older story, like, threads. Okay. I mean, that's that's biblical, even. Yeah. We did. But at the same time, I mean, obviously there's something in there that's sentient. You know, he decided to turn against what created him and just wipe them out, wipe out Three-Eyed Raven, wipe out all life. Yeah. And, well, I feel like we should touch on that later when we're actually talking about Bran, because okay. I will just say this. I feel that's one of the things that the show maybe didn't handle quite as well as they should have. Yeah. Let's talk about, um, I mean, you know, let's go into the White Walkers. Let's talk mm. about, I mean, they reemerge beyond the wall. What are they? How are they made? I mean, what's what, what was the reason... I mean, for them. I mean, I know the show touches on that. Does Do the books actually touch on that a little bit more? or That's one of the fun parts about the books, because, again, you have, you know, you're dealing with your five books into a seven-book season, and there's a lot that the creator himself, George R. R. Martin, has not gotten to. And, you know, therein lies some of the fun. So, yeah. you know, we kind of, a lot of what we have to go off of, including, like, 
how they're made. You know, you see the scene with Craster's, you know, final child being taken up and the Night King actually like touching his cheek, you know, implying that for years and years and years, that's how he's been making more of them. Um, And then, of course, you see how he's made in the flashback with Bran and... Eh, I don't know if there's really any reason to get into details about it. Something, something, magic, something, something, shove a piece of obsidian into his chest. But, you know, the idea was he was created as a sentient weapon to help them fight off man when they arrive. You get little flashes of this in the books, but it's not really, it's not super detailed. You know, it's something that I imagine is going to be filled in in the later books, which we're, again, still waiting on (laughs) nine years later, George. But, uh, it's typing right now somewhere but uh maybe but in any case you know the idea like i said and it kind of goes back to one of the older you know you see it in greek mythology you see it a lot of places you know you create the monster and then the monster turns on you Mm -hmm. or you create anything and it turns on you you know like frankenstein and i mean that's basically kind of what you have there you know and the show doesn't really get into why it turned on the children of the forest which i expect the books will but i mean in a way you don't really even need to just the fact that you had this weapon it went sentient and now it's just gonna basically kill everything that's in its path yeah it's kind of all you really need but let me ask let me ask you this and this might just be me not remembering i mean Mm -hmm. it's the way the way you worded this one topic was reemerging beyond the wall. Mm. Do they do the citizens of Westeros? They know about Westeros. Westeros. But, yeah. <laughs> Westeros. Yeah. Do they they know about the Night King? They know about. I mean, is that something that is of legend? Or I'll give kind of a sum up here as quick as I can. But yeah. okay. The way it's set up in the books, and I mean, it's hinted at in the show, but like the books, you actually get. Yeah, a little more thoroughly laid out. They have the wall, obviously. The wall is somehow put together by yeah, and you know has magic. This that and there's the other, a reason holds, for the wall, yeah. You know, which is you see when like the whites try to cross it, and just like you know they can't do it, you know, and whatnot. They're living in an age where they're far enough away from the original uprising of the White Walkers, or called the others in the books, but you know, same difference that. It's all, you know, they've forgotten about them and they basically treat them as some sort of boogeyman that, you know, people just use kind of like scare their kids or whatnot. And there's like a handful of northern houses that maybe believe in them a little bit more. But like overall, the Night's Watch is kind of just seen as like, okay, well, it's the noose or you can go, you know, live your life at this ice wall ranging on and fighting off wildlings. So, take your pick. And, you know, by that point, nobody really... So, it's like, it's an acknowledged thing, but it's like, humanity has gone on for so long. I, be- I believe it's like 10,000 years or something, in the, and I think that's both in the context of books and okay. the show. I couldn't remember how long it Yeah, been. that it's like been long enough that they're not sure if it even really existed, or why, or any of that. Also worth noting, at least in the books, you do not have a Night King. At least not yet. You have... Really? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. You that. have the Knights King, which is the, supposedly the, let's see, 13th commander of the Knights Watch, who the legend has to do with him meeting and running off with a female White Walker and blah, 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 White Walkers something. Hmm. Sorry, that's probably not 
particularly articulate, but <laughs> they don't really delve into it much. It's just that's kind of the legend. It's just like, you know, he found one, they ran off together, he made the White Walkers, blah, blah, blah. And then in the, uh, when you deal with like a lot of the stuff that Melisandre and the Red Priest deal with, they're, they always preach of the Great Other, which again, others being the term used primarily in the book to refer to the White Walkers. Yeah. Which is one of those changes I've never really been sure about that why they made in the show, because as came up a couple of weeks ago, you have the Whites, that's W-I-G-H-T, zombies basically, and then you have the White Walkers. I drove you crazy because I called them all White Walkers. <laughs> and if I recall, let's see, yeah. I'm trying to remember, I think my instruction was, okay, first slap yourself in the face, <laughs> and then go ask, Be then you, you go tell Becky what you just told me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what did Becky do? Oh, she just corrected me and laughed. So I was like, okay. She Let's... laughed at you. She <laughs> laughed at you is what she did. I know one of the biggest scenes, well, I mean, at the time, I guess if you're just a fan of the show, you didn't mm. really see it as a massive scene. But when they find the uh, the pups, mm. the dire wolves, huh. I mean, I, I, think, I think now at the end of the show, we can look back on it, and especially at the names. Mm -hmm. I they... guess, I mean, to be fair, again, coming in, from a reading perspective, I saw it as a big scene because yeah, that's yeah. literally the first like POV scene in the book. It's Bran, you know, they see the guy being executed, then they're leaving and they come across the dead dire wolf, which you want some symbolism there. Big dead dire wolf with a stag bone, you know, jutting into its throat. So like, there's your little symbolism of basically that's right. The quote unquote house Baratheon killing off, you know, oh, the head wow. of, okay. House Stark. And now granted, the Baratheons don't actually kill the Starks. It's Lannisters, as it turns out. But you know what I mean? As far as the last name goes, that's how it's all kind of established at first. Yeah. And technically, Robert does get Ned killed by bringing him down there. So that's true. You have that nice little bit of symbolism, <laughs> like right there when you're reading it, like, oh, well, there's that. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Well, so, some of the names are, are mm. it's funny, you know, some of the names that are picked for the pubs. Mm. I mean, you know. In correlation with the people that, you know, the ones that actually adopt them, Sansa's is Lady, um, Brands is Summer, which I don't really know how that really correlates. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Let's just go through the names and then I'll tell you <laughs> what I think. All right. Uh, Rob's is Greywind. See, that's the one I really don't get, but never mind. Anyway, continue. <laughs> um, Sansa's is Lady, which, you know, she becomes mm. a lady of the house, I guess. Or, yeah, I yeah. remember. <laughs> Lady Arya's make it through is, episode uh, three. Nymeria? Nymeria. Nymeria. Named after Nymeria of Dorne, warrior queen of the Roinar who lived 1,000 years ago. And Urukal was the first of that group to, of the Roinar specifically, to like come over to Westeros. And if I'm not mistaken, actually, yeah, I guess we covered that. She's like, I think basically the Dornish people, they all kind of originate from her and her people. Anyway, sorry, okay, continue. okay. But basically, uh, I'm trying to think of a nice way to put this. To Arya, it would be something like Xena Warrior Princess. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice. Like well, she grows up on this legend, so it's like you know, just this big badass warrior woman, and yeah, sorry, yeah. Good. Okay, Summer with Bran. I might just be overlooking this. I'm sure I am, but explain that. Well, shouldn't we cover the rest of the names first? And then oh yeah, okay. Um, Shaggy Dog with Rickon. Mm-hmm. That one, unfortunately, I know exactly why it's named that, but we'll get to that. Yeah, um, and, and then John's John. was a ghost, of course, which yeah. yeah has a really cool 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the two that actually made it to the end. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, and, uh, you know, during that scene, of course, you know, John actually is the one who kind of raises his hand and like, maybe we should go ahead and keep these. It's your sigil. Yeah. And there's enough of them for your children. And that's before he finds Ghost. And then, you know, just about their leaving, you know, the whimpering, he goes and finds the other one. You know, yeah, tiny little the runt. one. Yeah. But as far as the meanings of the names, let's let's go through that. I mean, you know, uh, do you want to start? Let's start with Rob. I mean, gray, right. gray wind. I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he's gray and he's fast. Ooh, let's call up George R. R. Real quick. I would imagine. I mean, I think a lot of these, in some regards, are tied like one, as you kind of mentioned, to the characters that they represent, and also maybe kind of how things play out for them. And if you think about Grey Wind, it, I can't help but think... I hear Grey Wind and I immediately think of Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Like, not just the novel, but the meaning of the phrase. You know, Gone with the Wind. Here today, gone tomorrow. You know, and... That's a good point. Considering what happens to Rob, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. a pretty... You know, it's like you have this character and... You know, he's not POV in the books, but he's still an important character. You know, yeah. which... Like I said, we can kind of delve into that a little bit later, but, you know, and, of course, anyone listening has already seen it, so they know that, but, you know, he's down there, you know, fighting the battle, King of the North, blah, 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 and then, you know, unceremoniously, shall we say, exits the story at a point, <laughs> yes. and he's gone with the wind, so yeah. a gray wind, you know, color of Stark's banner, gray, yeah, and it's gone with the wind, yeah, that would be my guess. Of course, what do I know? Anyway, it's better than I would have guessed. But, I mean, like I said, that's the one that's not just, like, doesn't really kind of slap you in the face with it, because, like, you actually have to sit back and think about it a little bit, so... Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sansa is named Lady, and, you know, that's what Sansa is for much of it, you know, Lady of Winterfell. Sometimes that turns out to be something of a negative, and... Again, and not necessarily the fate of the character, but, you know, the fate of Lady herself. Lady is uh, the first direwolf pup to not quite make it. and oh, that's true, yeah. Takes the heat for um, the little incident where Arya and Joffrey get into it, and Arya promptly destroys Joffrey in swordplay. So that was another nice little entertaining moment, you know, seeing Joffrey get whooped by an 11 year old girl. Um, but <laughs> you already hated him by then. Yeah. And it happens in the book too. And in like, just in both cases, like, oh, it's great. And, you know, then there comes a point where, you know, he doesn't take it too well, as you can imagine, gets attacked by Nymeria. As it comes, you know, they need punishment, blah, blah, blah. Cersei wants the wolf killed. Yeah. And, you know, basically is like, well, just kill that one instead. And so they do. And I think. That's one of those where it's like, I don't think the name necessarily has all that much symbolism. I mean, it does in a way, because again, like I said, you're dealing with what ultimately is kind of left as the Lady of Winterfell. So that's a little bit of a clue. But also, you know, she's the member of the character who's like early on separated from her family and, you know, cut off from them in a way. Yeah. Or at least that's kind of the best I can figure of it. And, you know, also... She, she has to grow up pretty fast. I mean... Well, also in a way, and this is one of those things people sometimes tend to forget about, but Sansa quietly was one of the things that got Ned killed. Like, she didn't want to leave King's Landing. She wanted to stay there and be married to Joffrey, and she snitched to Cersei. But, I mean, it's still, like I said, what happens to Lady in a weird sort of way kind of mirrors what happens to Sansa in that, you know... She's separated from the, well, mostly separated from the pack, you yeah. know, 
by that point, Nymeria's run off, so it's just her. Yeah. She takes the heat for it, which, again, a little bit reminiscent of Sansa. That's and true. then, yeah, now, of course, Lady, you know, the wolf dies. Obviously, Sansa doesn't, or I suppose she doesn't. Books aren't out yet, George. <laughs> but like I said, basically, a lot of what rep- she represents, you know, her being a Stark, her being part of the North, her being part of this, blah, 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 blah. A lot of that dies. Yeah. And so does her wolf. So Yeah, her soul kind of dies. <laughs> it's, for it's for a, a little while there, it's yeah. It's a pretty rough time. I mean, yeah. As far as, as far as Bran's direwolf, Summer, what mm. do you think that refers to? Basically, hope. Because, if, that's, I mean... That's a good... Yeah, I like that. Because, I mean, you know, the Stark words, winter is coming, you know, which is sometimes a threat, sometimes cautionary. But... You know, just kind of a reminder of like, you know, something bad could always be on the horizon. Be ready. What is the opposite of winter? Summer. And yeah. ultimately, taking a look at Bran's arc as a whole, you know, a lot of it is about bringing about the destruction of the Night King, which it's not a destruction of winter, I would assume, is a normal season, but maybe winter as it has been in that universe for a while. Yeah, and what it represents. So again, you know, hope. Shaggy Dog, how do you think that applies to Rickon? Uh, well... Judging by the show, at least. I mean, you have kind of the obvious, which is he's named by a four-year-old, and a (laughs) four-year-old is not necessarily going to point at something and come up with the greatest of names. Yeah. But there's actually a trope called a shaggy dog story, which is a story that effectively goes nowhere and just kind of ends. And, well, let's take a look at Rickon, shall we? How'd his story go? Yeah, not so well. <laughs> he's basically kind of just this little pawn he's sent here, he's sent there. At yeah. one point, he's just sent off, and you don't see him for a couple of seasons. And then he comes back and is basically uses a bargaining chip. And then Ramsey shoots him. Well, he runs in a straight line. and then <laughs> Ramsey has a good shot. Pops him with an arrow. Always run serpentine when psychotic <laughs> villains are playing a little game, shooting arrows at you. Now, I think John's is the most... Uh, it's kind of unnerving now that you now that you know what happens. I mean, you know, he. He's like, I mean, he's not a literal ghost, but it's multiple layered. Yeah, too, it but it's like one. He's back from the, the dead. well, I mean, that's the obvious one. It's like he literally a dead man walking. So yeah, there's that. Also, if you take a look, just you know, what was he? He's grown up in this house, a supposed bastard. Of course, we find out what he really is later. Yeah. But he's the, you know, he's the outsider in his own house. It's like he grew up alongside Rob. He grew up along the Stark children, blah, blah, blah. But he was never, ironically, figuratively and literally, never a Stark. And definitely people in the family, Catelyn being a very good example, and Sansa to a degree, made him remember that. So it's like you already have him kind of being like an outsider or like a ghost, you know, yeah. kind of haunting the house, just just kind of there. A lot of cats disdain was, of course, because she thought Ned had... Mm-hmm. She did on her, basically. But Right, which I think we that's something definitely more of a deep dive when we actually cover Ned here in a while. Yeah. But, um, and also just in the sense of, I mean, kind of, you know, ultimately his arc, you know. Here you have basically the typical, you know, one of the bigger fantasy tropes, kind of the, hid, the hidden prince. The oh, Even yeah. if you want to go back to, like, King Arthur or... Give or take half the sons of Zeus in Greek mythology, probably even further back than that. You know, you have this character who actually is, you think this whole time, well, theoretically, you think this whole time he's this. It turns out he's actually something much more important. And John never gets to live up to that. 
like he never he's never in any real immediate danger of getting the throne and being king of Westeros, at least not in the show. And I mean, that's one of those I'm certain the books will go that direction. Yeah, they might go about it in a different way. But it's like so again, kind of a ghost. He was a big part of it, but he never quite. He's kind of keeping things in order in the background, you know. And he, it, never he never quite becomes like that big just outright Our savior. obvious hero. <laughs> well, and even even though he is, it's like he's not quite seen, you know, the implications he's not quite seen as that, and he may never really yeah. be, and then, you know, ultimately wins his freedom and goes to live beyond the wall, outside of the realm. Again, the outsider, and, you know, something of a ghost. Yeah. So, And he's with ghost. Yeah. Quietly, <laughs> one, of my, quietly one of my favorite scenes. Yes. Yes. Yeah, they, yeah, they finally, uh, he pet ghosts. Everybody calm down. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I know. Everybody yelling about that the entire <laughs> and that's season. What they and, do. and it's like, you got it. There yeah. he is. Giving him a real big pet and getting licked on the face. Are he, you people happy and now? And he goes to live with him for the rest of his life. But let's, let's Golden, I guess individual. let's dive into something a little uncomfortable. <laughs> I asked you, like, do you want to talk about this? But I think you have to touch on it. You really think, can't avoid it in this no, series because it is one of the big primary things. It's I, like, there's I, no I way about not talking about it. I mean, this it, was pretty commonplace yeah. back in at, actual historical times, mm, to a degree. Mm, it depends <laughs> on what we're calling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, you, you can kick this one off. Oh, goody. Yeah, make me say it. Make yeah. me say incest. Yeah. <laughs> he made me say incest on his podcast, people. Yeah. This now, horrible, horrible ginger man made me say incest. Now, this is the only part of this podcast that one of my family members is going to fast forward to, and they just hear you leaning into the mic. Incest. That's <laughs> part of the show. I mean, let's not like... You can't say it's not like. It's absolutely part of the show, dude. Yeah, it but, kicks it off. It ends it. I mean, it, yeah. yeah, throughout. And, but, you know, to start, uh, you have Bran, you know, as I mentioned, you know, he's climbing up the tower and he happens upon the, uh, Lannister twins, Jamie and Cersei, doing something that, well, let's just say maybe siblings shouldn't do. <laughs> to, ever. Say, to say the least. Yeah. Which is, I do want to throw us out while I'm saying this is something that's always sort of bugged me about this fandom is the number of people that don't quite catch on to the fact that, you're never, ever supposed to read this and think, oh, in this world, incest is cool. Yeah. It's like, no, no, it's not. Incest is ultimately what brings down House Targaryen to begin with. Yeah. Both before and, ironically, at the end. And it's especially not cool in the context of, you know, that particular relationship because, well, for a start, uh, Cersei's married to the king, so... Not only is she cheating, but she's cheating with her twin brother of all people. And so, you know, them seeing Bran, you know, something must be done about it. And Cersei being Cersei. Well, and you have Joffrey, who the king thinks is his. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never have I ever hated a character quite so much as that one. Yeah, yeah. And like all mediums. but Great um, actor. Oh, yeah. He definitely pulled it off. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I remember hearing that, like, after this was all over, I think he quit acting. And it's like, yeah, considering character you played, I probably would, too. <laughs> yeah. As I mentioned, and this is kind of an important theme throughout, you know, I mean, like I said, on the one hand, Jamie's a member of the King's Guard. They're to take no wives. They're to have no, you know, lands, etc., which we might can touch upon a little later. I, I didn't know that, actually. I mean, that I'm sure it's probably mentioned yeah. in the show, but, you know, that's, what, yeah. eight years ago? But, and I mean, that's the thing. It's like, ultimately... Which, like I said, we'll touch on that more because once we kind of start talking about the character of Jamie, his whole history has to come up. So we 
touched yeah. on a bit more than but that is one of the important things of the king's guard if you remember the king's guard you basically you don't have a title anymore you don't have right to your lands you know etc and so one you've got a member of the king's guard violating their rights and ironically his sister and then you've got the sister in question, you know, one committing, uh, as I believe they call it now, twincest. The overall point is, especially outside of House Targaryen, incest is heavily frowned upon. And it's like the only reason really that incest is tolerated in the story at all was because one time this guy flew over with three dragons and his two sister wives and went about conquering the kingdom and burning anybody who stood against him. So it's like, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll just give you a pass, scary dragon guy. And like I said, a lot of people, for whatever reason, read it and kind of never catch on to that. But, you know, that's part of the reason why many of the members of House Targaryen are so screwed up. You have the sort of, if you want a real world equivalent of like brother to sister marriage, it'd probably be the Ptolemaic dynasty of uh, Egypt, which, if I'm not mistaken, was started by one of the generals of Alexander the Great. And they decided to keep the blood pure. And it's like, yeah. yeah. And if you go through and look at a lot of those rulers, you have a lot of interesting decisions and a lot of bug eyes, a lot of goiters, a lot of <laughs> not so much silver hair and purple eyes, more like what actually happens. <laughs> a lot of bug eyes. Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, think, seriously, happened, yeah, it, it's, yeah. I guess it's kind of hinted on earlier too, which mm-hmm. I believe the scene happens earlier with uh, Danny and her brother. Like when you first see Danny for the first time. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. It, it's um, it, it's kind of creepy. <laughs> it's like, it's very creepy. Yeah, I mean, okay. but, but I mean, even like to that point with, what I was saying, though, I mean, yeah, so just so it's clearly understood, though, you know, uh, and I mean, you know, with Cersei and Jamie, it's like you've got like five other crimes being committed here, let alone the fact oh. that they're committing incest. Yeah, yeah. But on top of that, they're committing incest, which is like a huge <laughs> faux pas unless you maybe have dragons and tell rest. everybody. No, no, no. It's great. We have <laughs> dragons. Challenge us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, and I mean, which you'd mentioned earlier in real life, you know, you did have it in the sense that, you know, a lot of times a royal family, you know, royal, like, okay, member of, say, the royal family of Spain might marry the royal, member of the royal family of, say, England, you know, for an alliance or whatever. So you have, like, a whole lot of, like, in our own history, like, cousin incest, particularly involving royal houses. Yeah. And you have a fair amount of that in Game of Thrones, too, but it's not... I mean, you're dealing with, like, a culture that has the understanding of a medieval culture, so... They understand brother-sister incest bad, but they don't maybe quite understand that, you know, cousin to cousin might not be such a... Of course, then again, they also engage in leeching and a whole bunch of other things. That we yeah. Know. yeah. Huh. Things I never thought I'd have to say publicly and into a microphone. But uh, yeah, one final point about incest. Um, <laughs> again, like I said, and a lot of the readers kind of misunderstand this, but if you... If you ever run for office, you're screwed. Oh, that that ship <laughs> sailed so long ago. But uh, anyway, and again, as I mentioned before, you know, a lot of the readers have a tendency to, for whatever reason, romanticize certain characters and whatnot, and forget, you know, what's actually going on there. But yeah. that's kind of an early tell that Danny is ultimately probably not going to wind up to be perhaps the best of rulers or the best choice, because again, you have years and years and years of like Targaryen madness, which. Like I said, as it turns out, who would have thought brother, sister incest, not that great of a thing. Even the Lasters have a couple of examples 
Yeah, mainly Joffrey, but still. Anyway. You know, after Bran sees this, he's pushed out of the window. He doesn't die, unfortunately. Unfortunately? Okay, so... Unfortunately... To make sure I understand correctly what you just said there, you wanted Bran dead. No, unfortunately to Jamie and Cersei. He did not die. So you wanted Bran dead. Understood. Got it. Anyway. He kind of annoyed me, but yeah. Bran is... Uh, somebody tries to kill Bran. Uh-huh. Uh, it's first appearance with the dagger, and that kind of goes on to play... Much larger role, like throughout the rest of the show. I mean, I mean, what what is the significance of the dagger? I mean, I know it goes through several different hands, and people claim that it came from them, but it didn't, and it eventually winds up at the end of the show too. Or you ask me, or you telling me? Anyway, um, I'm bringing it up so you can yeah. expand. Them. Well, and yeah, a little bit of difference in the book versus in the show, but in the show it has sort of, or not sort of, it has a full circle arc in the show, almost. Kind of in a weird way, kind of like the Lord, you know, like the One Ring and the Lord of the Rings. Kind of almost seeming like it wants to be found, like it wants to wind up in the right hands of the right people at the right time. Or kind of like the Siege Perilous in uh, Knights of Round Table Legend, where, you know, you had like the one seat, and basically if you sat in that seat and weren't meant for that seat, something bad was going to happen to you. Yeah. And ultimately, I think it was the seat of Sir Galahad, but. Onto the actual point of the dagger, when it first makes an appearance, it's used to in an attempt on Bran's life, and ultimately winds up being the thing that saves Bran's life when used in the right hands. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's kind of a full, it goes full circle in there, and then of course you know Catelyn obviously gets hold of it, and after you know the murder attempt goes south because a certain wolf pup maybe chews a guy's face off. She shows it to Baelish, and as he does, he manipulates the situation to his advantage and helps to, you know, further kick off the war between the Starks and Lannisters. But that's one of the other things I think is kind of fitting about it because it claims to be his dagger. He takes possession of it ultimately. And then that's ultimately also his kind of his literal and figurative downfall is that dagger. You know, he uses it to start the war and ultimately that's what Arya uses to end Peter Baelish. Yeah, well, I mean, they find out that it was yeah. him who gave... Mm-hmm. The dagger in the first place to kill Bronn. Mm-hmm. Right? No. Well, it depends. Okay. The show, to be honest with you, I don't even know for sure what the show's take on it is. I know in the books, and it's very explicit, Joffrey is the one who paid off the cat's paw, they call him, meaning, you know, thief, assassin, blah, 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 what have yeah. you. But to- the, okay, so the, but the dagger came, did not come from Littlefinger? I thought that was... <sighs> It's kind of complicated, but yeah. you want the book version? Cause well, I mean, I, I know like at Littlefinger's trial, it's brought well, up. I can sum it up, but yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. If I recall when you first hear, or what you ultimately kind of find out is that Littlefinger had it and lost it in some way, shape, or form to King Robert. Gambling-wise, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if there's like Westerosi poker or something, or if they're betting oh, on... Old maid. Yeah, betting on to go fish, <laughs> betting on attorney. Something. You know, in any case, he lost it, and Robert gave it to his eldest, I'm going to put quotes around this, big ones, son, Joffrey. <laughs> Listen to what we talked about before this. Yeah. Um, you have, like, the moments in the book where, you know, kind of the whole mystery, you know, he says it's his dagger, says he lost it to Tyrion, used that to set off the war and whatnot. Well, in the books, you know, that's pretty much how that goes down, too. But ultimately, um, long after Joffrey's you know, unceremonious exit, 
you find out basically, and it's one of those things where it's like, it's not, it's not explicit. And some people to this point think it's ambiguous, but it's really not. You have two characters, maybe three, come to the same conclusion, which is ultimately figure out that that really actually wasn't an act of war per se. It was an evil, stupid kid doing an evil, stupid thing. I think Tyrion comes to the conclusion that Joffrey sent the cat's paw to kill Bran just basically because he's was a little monster. Jamie comes to the same conclusion, but comes to the conclusion that he did it because he heard King Robert say at one time, you know, like basically that if he died, it'd be a mercy and that his warped, twisted little psycho mind, you know, in order to get his dad's affection, did what his dad wanted to happen. See, that's interesting. I was going to bring that up. Why would he, if he didn't know about, yeah, Cersei and Jamie, what you just said, basically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was going to bring that up. I I didn't understand that. And I want to say there might be a part in the book where Cersei hits upon that too, but you know, it's been a while since I've actually read the books. So the one, the two I specifically remember coming to the conclusion are Jamie and Tyrion. And you know, like I said, Tyrion chalks it up to just him being a vengeful little punk. And you know, Tyrion, there's a moment where Tyrion slaps him once or twice and All tells right, him yeah. to go in and say, you know, you go in and you tell him you're sorry. You do it now. Yeah, he thought that was why he did. It. Like just that over that, it's like well, I'm just going to kill this little punk. You know. And okay. So just to remind me, and you might have already said this. Mm. It, within the show, that is implied that Joffrey is the one that sent. That's not the book necessarily. No, that's the book. That's okay, completely that's completely one hundred percent. Okay, the book. okay, that's what I was trying to remember. The show, yeah, okay. I think the show either doesn't quite address it, or yeah. maybe leans a little more towards Littlefinger, but it okay. doesn't really ever explicitly cover how. But it's one of those things that, like, and again, the reader base has a bad habit of doing this, where they want to attribute everything to everyone. And it's like, by the time they're done with Littlefinger, it's like he's some sort of omnipotent trickster god who knew everything was going to happen to this, that, and the other. Yeah. In the books, there is no plausible way Littlefinger had anything to do with that attempt. Okay. He just took advantage of a situation. I got you. In the show, like I said, a little more ambiguous, because they never really focus on the whole Joffrey thing, because they don't need to, really, but... It's just one of those cases, though, where it's funny because that's one of the things that sets off the whole war. Well, not funny, haha, but, yeah, funny, strange. Because that's one of the things that sets off the whole war. And then it ultimately, basically, just the act of a cruel, twisted little monster who had power. Yeah, yeah. Either wanting to, either being offended, decided to do something about it in a horrible fashion, which was true to character, or wanting to do something to, you know, impress his dad, which, sadly, also true to character. And. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so it's like they're both right, but for different reasons, and they come to the same conclusion. Some kids anyway. hit some kids hit a home run to impress their father. Not <laughs> not good not good King Joff. Oh no. Yeah, yeah. Well let's uh let's, let's dive in a little assassin. Let's Send dive into something your else. Best friend's son. Let's talk about let's talk about some dragons. Let's jump into something else. I mean, one of the biggest themes of the show are dragons, you say. Are dragons. Um why did they disappear? I mean how are they tied to, you know, Valerian to begin with? Mm. I mean, why is that? I mean, Valyria, I guess. Yeah, Valyria, I, I, like, I should say. Valyria is the country. Valyrians are the people. The and, of course, people. the last living Valyrians, far as we know, or at yeah. least our story is so far, Targaryens. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. But what kind of, you know, what ties them together? Why are Valyrians able to, you know, basically stand within fire and... <laughs> Not See, burnt. that's a show thing. I mean, oh, is um, it? Okay, okay. That's that's kind of what I want to touch on. And just like, yeah, I mean, just just for them to show up again. I mean, oh, mm-hmm. here's by the way, here's three three eggs as a gift, Danny. Uh, 
you mean, I'm guessing you're referring to the part where Illyrio in the first season, like when she's, you know, married to the, uh, you know, Cal Drogo. Yeah. She gets them as a gift. Otherwise known as when the world met Jason Momoa. <laughs> Aquaman. How dare you? <laughs> I mean, it's true. He is Aquaman. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah, yeah. Not a knock to Aquaman. Just <sighs> come on. Really? The most compelling DC character right now is Aquaman. You guys yeah. messed up. Who bad. would have ever thought that? But anyway. Anyways. <sighs> Sorry. Um, I mean, someone who has read the books. I mean, yeah. what, what are the ties to Valerians and... Yeah, I mean, why, why are they linked with dragons so much? I'll try to summarize. Won't be easy. I will say in advance, and you might want to cut this part. This might be one of the longer... No, that's fine. We could say that as a warning. Of the, huh? <laughs> we'll say that as a warning. Yeah. yeah, but this might be one of the longer diatribes on the show, because there's a lot to unpack there. Well, um, I'm, I'm going to let you... Uh, I want you to yeah. give your side of it, what you understand, and your opinions on it, and I'm going to let you go. And again, in some cases... I'm drawing here from the books, and then you have, I guess, the World of Ice and Fire, which is sort of the, I don't know, kind of like the guidebook to the world. Tells you more about the world. The history. You know, like, yeah, the history, like, before you actually get to, and then Fire and Blood, which, full confession, I have not finished yet, but I've finished the important part, so I can definitely answer what happened to the dragons, okay. unfortunately. But... Well, I guess we'll let's talk about that first. What well, dragons used to exist? What happened? Actually, maybe let's start with Valyria and move forward to that. Okay, okay. Valyria, there's a country in the mythology, you know, old Valyria, or I'm sorry, rather the Valyrian freehold. When people refer to old Valyria, they're talking about that, but yeah, still. Anyway, and this is kind of pieced together from little bits of the books and whatnot, but apparently the Valyrians were at one time just kind of like a peaceful shepherd race and existed in this area kind of near, I'm trying to remember what it was called, maybe the 13 flames or something like that. And which I believe was like a series of like volcanoes. Okay. Somehow at some point they discovered dragons and somehow at some point they discovered they could tame them. And this is one of the things that's kind of emphasized in the books. It's definitely emphasized in the show, but still. For whatever reason, Valyrian, like Valyrian blood is a key component to being able to have a bond with and, you know, control in any way, shape, or form a dragon. Okay. So, like, if you just take, say, a Lannister or a Stark or someone else just who doesn't actually have a trace of Valyrian blood in them and just throw them, you know, here, go ride that dragon. It's not going to go well. And if it, within the mythology itself, not only that, but it's like they bond with their dragon. If they go try to jump on someone else's and, you know, just take it out for a spin, that doesn't go well. That's actually covered in uh, one of the short stories and briefly in Fire and Blood, which we'll get to in a minute. But So anyway, being able to control dragons, as you can imagine, this universe gave them quite a bit of power, and they basically... That's how the Valyrian Freehold was created, which is more or less, like, if we had an equivalent in our own world, it would be basically the Roman Empire. You yeah. know, just like this very big, very untouchable force. Take the world over, basically. And for all points purposes, almost did. Like, you know, there's... You still see people with, like, Trace Valerian blood, like, in, you know, Essos, that's the other continent in, you know, the Game of Thrones or Song of Ice Fire world. Yeah. And you still occasionally see people, like, silver hair, purple eyes, and whatnot from, you know, other parts of the world. Um, but the point is, 
in some way, shape, or form, you know, they did their conquering and whatnot. Um, or, well, that part we know, obviously. They did their conquering. These dragons. Uh, there was at some point a member of the Targaryen family, and the Targaryen families were at, or the Targaryen family was actually not a big deal in the, you know, old country of Valyria, one of the smaller houses. Yeah. But the long and the short of it was the daughter of, like, the patriarch of the family had a dream that Valyria was going to be destroyed, and he took that to heart and moved his family and all their dragons over to Dragonstone, which is the ancestral seat of House Targaryen, you know, off the coast of Westos. It comes up in the shows, you know? Yeah. And um, that's where they settled. And not very long after that, and I'm not giving the name because I can't quite remember. It was, I think it was either Daenerys the Dreamer or Danis the Dreamer, and I don't remember which one. So, like I said, it, but you get the point. Like, Targaryens have a tendency to recycle names. There's only so many combinations of whatever that you, you know, so. Yeah. But anyway, point is, so like I said, they moved over there, and not very long after, uh, the Doom of Valeria came about. Um, I don't think it's uh, explicitly laid out in book what happened, but the impression that you get, you know, 13 Flames of Volcanoes, that basically all these volcanoes just went off and just basically sunk this place. Not a good place to live, yeah. And, uh, I... And you don't see much of it, at least in the books. And, you know, the impression given is like, like the seas around it. You know, it's like, I think, the boiling sea or something. It's like considered to be demon inhabited. And, you know, just it's a place that most people won't go. There's like, I think, a handful of characters have gone through it. One of them being Euron, which oh, okay. I don't remember if that comes up in the show or not. But Euron and show and Euron and book are two totally different, like, cats. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry. Pause for a water break there. Um, back to my point. Um, so as far as, I mean, what what happened to them necessarily? I mean, where where did they where did they go? Did they just simply die out, or that killed them all? That killed basically all the Valyrians and all the dragons. That killed the dra- okay. I'm sorry. I was just well, well. Okay. Okay. When I say all the dragons, okay. I was just, I At thought, the time of the Valyrian Freehold, there were a lot more dragons than there were. You still had, over here, House Targaryen with their dragons. Yeah. But, you know, whole country full of people like that, dragon lords, etc. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. So that's where that happened. And See, I wasn't sure if you meant it killed all the dragons. There, well, most of them, yeah, yeah, I should yeah. say. And, again, if you kind of look at the story, there's little hints that maybe, like... There was like a slave uprising, or perhaps someone caused the volcanic eruption to happen, but there's not like a lot of strong textual evidence for this. It's just sort of hinted at and mildly suggested, and it's one of those things I'm assuming Martin will get around to writing one of these days, but hasn't thus far, so yeah, I don't care to speculate much. I'm kind of comfortable with volcanoes went off, killed everybody. Yeah. And like I said, you still have traces of Valerian blood like through... The free cities and SOs and whatnot, you know, you'll occasionally see someone with silver hair, purple eyes, etc. But for all points purposes, the dragons, the only surviving ones, and the only surviving Valyrian house was House Targaryen, which is over on Dragonstone. And a couple generations later, Aegon the Conqueror, that's the first one, 
you know, decided I basically just on a whim that he was going to go and conquer the continent of Westeros and had a pretty easy time doing it, what with having dragons and all that. Um, there were a couple of incidences where like the handful of people that actually did stand against him, it very much didn't go well. There was one battle called the Field of Fire where I I want to say maybe it was... I can't remember if it was House Lannister or something. There, there were a couple, you know, of, like, fairly big-name members of, like, many of the families that you know in the show who, yeah. you know, decided to stand against him. And there's a couple that you don't know because they didn't survive it. Like, they were standing there, you know, thinking they were going to fight, and it's like, okay, cool. And <laughs> that was the end of that. So there were arguably yeah. a handful of dragons that... You had three. Three, okay. Right. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I believe it was Balerion, Vagar, and Meraxes. Okay. And, uh, yeah, Balerion was the largest and scariest of them. They called him the Black Dread. He was ridden by Aegon, and Vagar and Meraxes were ridden by his sisters, uh, Visenya and Rhaenys. I cannot remember which one. I'm pretty sure Rhaenys rode Meraxes, which we'll get to that. But um, look at what Danny did with one. That's kind of, yeah. So, so it's like, wow. imagine this guy with <laughs> quite a bit more, and this, and he didn't have a huge army, and he didn't have, you yeah, know, didn't, need one. Yeah. didn't have a huge army, didn't have a huge navy, you know, he just, and like you said, didn't need one, you know, it's just, yeah. So anybody, so again, and uh, probably the most standout moment, and this place is located in the show, it's Hall, which is, yeah. you know, the burned, twisted, ruined castle. The reason it's burned, twisted, and ruined is because Heron the Black, the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was an Iron Islander. That's, you know, the pirate folk, uh, help me out there. The Greyjoys. Yeah, I think, you know, he had this big giant castle and basically thought he could withstand anything. And, you know, when Aegon came calling, basically, you know, told him to buzz off and I think Aegon gave him, like, a certain amount of hours, you know, like, you basically can bend the knee or everyone in your castle is going to die. And, yeah. you know, being a, having a little bit of, in the way of hubris, he, okay, bring it. And so he brought it and the dragons basically roasted that castle entirely, roasted everyone in it. And, you know, if you see the, I mean, there's drawings of it too, but like even in the show, it's like, if you see the castle, it has like that almost looks like a melted candle. And it's like, yeah, that's because that's how, yeah, like, Dragonfire, at least in that universe, is a whole new level of, you know, heat. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's, like, probably the greatest example of, like, what happened to people that crossed them. Um, I think it's just kind of worth noting, um, of those three dragons, one of them was actually killed by the Dornish. And so, in his attempt to conquer the Seven Kingdoms, he only conquered six. The one that he couldn't conquer and didn't conquer was Dorn. Was Dorn that one? And... You know, one, it was a desert country, you know, a lot of the terrain, etc. So a lot of the little tricks you can do, use dragons for, you know, they would just hide off, you know, like in mountain caves and whatnot. And it's like, all right, what are you going to do to us? And a lot of times couldn't really do much. Yeah. But there came a point where, and thinking about this is what actually reminded me of who was who. Um, there came a point where I believe his sister, Rhaenys, went with her dragon, which I believe was, was Meraxes, to it was either to treat with Dorne or maybe just to attack Dorne again for some reason, you know, trying to bring them into the realm, and that's when they introduced a scorpion, and you know, 
that being much like you saw in the finale there. Mm-hmm. Which didn't do too well. And, yeah. And fired and caught him right in the eye and the dragon and her basically plummeted to the ground and died. Okay. That's and, interesting. So the scorpion wasn't necessarily a new... No. Okay. So it's kind of funny because the show makes it look like it's brand new technology. Yeah, but like, like in the it. In the book, you it's like, well, it has a history. Yeah, yeah. One, one thing worth noting, though, and that's kind of an important deal in the show versus in the books, um, the reason they brought down this dragon is because they hit it in the eye. Like, anywhere else, it's pretty much... Border, when you're dealing with full-grown dragons, borderline indestructible. And, you know, so like I said, that's why they work in the eye. Whereas in the show, as you kind of saw, not so indestructible. The neck and- but that's uh, one of those things of... You know, some people were kind of mad about that when, you know, how things go on the show because it's like, well, in the books, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, the books defy physics. So what do you want? Well, at the same but, time, the scorpion bolt is pretty massive. I mean, I don't know yeah. how. Another interesting story from there, uh, I think it was the, um, I'm having trouble. I think the airy is the castle, the one that's like up in the sky or whatever. The oh, one that's, yeah. You know, quote unquote impregnable. Yeah. You know, in the veil. Um, I always thought it was. The with, the, with the moon door? Yes. Yeah. Ah, the moon door. Um, <laughs> but yeah, one of the more kind of entertaining stories of like how that one was seated at the time, and I guess kind of a thing for House Aaron, the Lord of House Aaron was like a five-year-old, and one of Aegon's wives slash sisters, yay incest again, uh, went up and basically, you know, they had their whole army ready and whatnot, and she just flew basically straight up and then just flew straight down into their wide open, you know, terrace yeah. and everything and got off and met the little boy and his terrified mother and offered the little boy, was like, you know, offered him basically a free ride on the dragon if he would just bend the knee. <laughs> he took it? Yes, he did. <laughs> and that's how they got the veil. And it's just, I don't know, it's like one of the funnier examples because, you know, well, if you're going to make a five-year-old king of something, that might be how you lose the kingdom. There was <laughs> yeah, no fight. Give him, just give him a safe for just to ride on the dragon. I go, oh, cool. All right. Now we can deal with how the actual rest of the dragons died out. By oh, skipping okay. ahead a few years. Okay. You, know, you obviously had more dragons after, like, the initial three. And dragons, I think, have, on average, maybe 200-ish, maybe more, maybe less, depending on the dragon lifespan. Um, there came a point in Targaryen history where uh, a king died and as his heir he named I believe it was Rhaenyra Targaryen who was a female and as came up in the show multiple times medieval society a lot of people not down with that yeah. the idea of having a female ruler Dorne's okay with it but like outside the, you know it's an anomaly and anyway so as I was saying though the king named his heir as his daughter upon the king's death uh, his queen and some other people conspired, and a lot of lords, you know, were more than happy to have a guy on the throne. So they all basically got together and named his son as king, even though that was not like the chosen heir. Yeah. Which led to the Targaryen Civil War, otherwise known as the Dance of Dragons. Dragons versus dragons? Oh, are there? Um, yeah, I need to show that. Yeah, I was going to say, you want you want to talk spinoffs. You want to talk about see. a prequel. It's, yeah. 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 Cost $5 billion, but you know, still, <laughs> it'd be worth it. Maybe just one three-hour film. Maybe a miniseries, at least. But anyway, point yeah. of the matter, 
but yeah, you had Targaryen Civil War, and I'm not going to get into the finer details of that, just because we'd be here for nine hours. Yeah. And but the gist of it is, you had her and her side, and him and his side, and a fair amount of Targaryens or people with Targaryen blood on dragons versus a fair amount of others, and a whole lot of dragons didn't survive that. Yeah. And I think it was after that point, the Targaryens kept trying to raise dragons, but it was like each generation was like smaller and weaker and more frail. I'm trying to remember the description of the one last dragon in book, but very small, twisted, broken wings and about the size of like maybe a dog. Okay. And uh, Tywin makes kind of an, a reference to that, you know, when Joffrey has his little panic attack about dragons in one episode where he's yeah. like, you ever seen the skull of the last dragon? Because I have. It was the size of an apple. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And there's a little bit into that that maybe part of the reason why that happened was because of, you know, like keeping them enclosed in the dragon pits and whatnot and not, you know, maybe treating them more. But I mean, again, it kind of goes back to the whole the mystery of how the Valyrians did it all was kind of lost with Valyria itself and they ended up killing each other off basically i mean yeah it's like for all points and purposes a lot of it was they killed each other off and then from there it's like they didn't really know how to ensure that this didn't there's also little hints at least in the books that maybe the maesters might have sort of done something to somewhat encourage that this one along but the show never really touches on oh, okay it. but you know basically science over magic if you will is there any indication in the books at least where the three dragon eggs come from that are gifted to Danny? Funny enough, there, there is. is now. Oh, okay. That's one of the few things like that out of fire and blood that's like new information and not just fleshed out, which okay. um, I'll touch on. I did want to say also worth noting, um, one of the only survivors of the uh, Dance of the Dragon was, I believe, the son of the one who wanted to be queen who never quite wound up as queen. Okay. But then promptly the other guy died and he wound up as king. And he wasn't a real big fan of dragons, largely because his last experience one was, or with one was when his uncle had his mother fed to a, his own dragon oh, in front oh. of him. And I guess I could leave a lasting scar. That was Aegon the Dragon Bane, they called him. Like that a lot of what went wrong with dragons was after that. It's because you had a Targaryen king who, for very obvious reasons, was not you know, not a huge fan of dragons. But skipping along, sorry, what was the question you asked again? Well, it's going to ask me, is there any indication in the books or whatever where the three dragon eggs that were gifted to Danny? There is. How um, are they found or where did they come from? And it's one of those things that's hinted at. It's not for sure, but kind of a good guess. There is a character, and I cannot remember the names of the characters in this case, so I'm just going to have to describe, you know, what happened. Yeah. But the long and the short of it was you have this one character who basically had this relationship with another woman. And the woman was, I cannot remember what house she belonged to. I want to say it was maybe Hightower or something like that, which I think his house doesn't really figure into the show. But the long and short of it is she, her dream was to, it's kind of funny how this turns out, sail the seas and see what was west of Westeros. Sound familiar? <laughs> well, And... Yeah. She, you know, wanted to build a ship, you know, wanted to do this, wanted to do that. And put quotes around this friend, the Targaryen, really just wanted her to kind of stick around and stay with her. And there came a point where one day she left, and when she left, three dragon eggs left with her. 
Okay. And she was then spotted over in Essos, and you can kind of do the math from there. And she sold, basically, she sold the dragon eggs to pay for the big ship that she built and then tried to sail west of Westeros. That didn't go well, by the way, but that's another story for another day. And, um, but, and you're not, you know, it's not a guarantee, I suppose, that those are the three eggs, but it's a pretty good guess that that's. That means, yeah, three. Yeah, it's yeah, just, like, chances are. Yeah, They're and the other thing, around. well, and the other thing that's mentioned is that, like, if the eggs are not kept, like, in a certain way and whatnot, they crystallize, they turn into, you know, basically almost like rock, which, yeah. what is she presented with? Three crystallized dragon's eggs. So, you know, it's like, there might be some ambiguity, but really, it's like, yeah, this is exactly where they came from, and it's pretty okay. apparent that that's what happened. Now so, that's, three that's... stolen dragon eggs from maybe 100, 150 years before this Yeah, sold so some woman could build a ship, and... However, found their way eventually back to Danny. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I forgot that they were crystallized when she got them. Yeah. That's that's a good point. Because, I mean, otherwise, I don't think they would have necessarily given them up. Even though, I mean, if they're, the dragons were born, they're yeah. going to... But if they're not going to really sync with, if you realize what anyone. you actually have, it's, yeah, you're not going to get rid of it, basically. But, anyway, well, that's but. interesting, man. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd, it's funny that he, you know, touches on that, so... Let's um let's move on a little bit here. Let's let's go back to Bran a little bit and talk about his journey. I mean, once he actually, you know, wakes up after being in a coma and I have a lot of questions about it. <laughs> which I think this is I oh, think you know, sad things, so do I. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> well, I think Bran's but, journey maybe is something that is touched on in the books a little bit more. Let's just kick off with the three eyed raven. How he becomes the three eyed raven, because I still don't understand the three eyed raven to begin with. Um <laughs> Maybe we can touch on that a little bit more and, you know, and then maybe we could talk a little about uh, our old buddy Hodor. Hi, <laughs> uh, Hodor. Yeah. Rest in peace. But his journey but, to become uh, the yeah. Three-Eyed Raven is, when, when is, when does that click for him that he is more than what he was born to be? I Are mean, we talking like from a book here or? Well, I mean, I, I guess, I okay. guess from well, the show, let's just say from the show and then maybe we can use the book to expand on it. I mean, kind of the same way in any regard, but, you know, uh, after he's initially thrown out of the tower, of course, he's going to come up for a while. And, you know, then he wakes up about two seconds after his murder attempt. But, you know, when he cuts back to the chapter and then, you know, kind of the show, you see that when he was in a coma, he was having these dreams. And he was having these dreams of specifically a three-eyed raven. That's right. Yeah. The book called A Three-Eyed Crow, but... Same difference. For all. I mean, I know it's not exactly the same bird, but you get my point. Like, just we'll just say three-eyed raven because it's easier, and that's what most people relate to. But yeah, yeah. so that kind of kicks it so, off. I mean, yeah, so he keeps having these dreams. Um, discovers fairly quickly that he can warg into his. Well, I should probably explain what. A, well, if they've seen the show, they probably get it. But somebody who can basically inhabit the spirit of like an animal. And as it turns out, in his case, can actually inhabit a human. And there's a fair amount of more details about that in the book. Like, now, they, can they control the animal, or can they just necessarily see through? Oh, the they're eyes? controlling it. Okay, like, full control. Okay, yeah. Okay, I think there might. I mean, I think there might be degrees of power, but you know, like, I remember there's one character in the books, one of the later ones called Varamir Six Skins, who like had, I think, you know, six or seven animals, and I think. If I recall, something ultimately happened to him was he warred into an animal and then his actual host, you know, his real body was killed. 
Oh. And so he's basically, like, stuck in the wolf. And then it's, like, slowly but surely, like, the wolf, you know, like, he kind of just disappears into the wolf. Yeah. Not quite sure how that's going to go in book, because, again, that's not really touched on. But another just important detail for book versus show. In the books, all the Stark children are wargs. Now, they're not all to the level of power, obviously. Bran is going to get to, but they all have what they call in book wolf dreams, which is they'll be asleep and... yeah running about, you know, like Arya particularly has like a whole bunch where it's like she see you see what's happening with Nymeria because Arya is dreaming about it. Yes. And that's never really touched on in the show because they kind of just gave it power to Bran, which he has the power. He's seen three eyed ravens in his dream. He mm. eventually takes off. Um also if I recall in the book and meets up with the fairies. <laughs> they're not fairies. <laughs> and they're also apparently not elves, which yeah. is a whole new another rant I have here for later so we'll chamber that for now but yeah i believe in book the three-eyed raven and when i say the three-eyed raven this is both literally and figuratively the three-eyed raven in his dreams actually speaks to him repeatedly and sort of indicates to him you need to come north (laughs) in the show you just have sort of weird little quotes and then i need to go north or you know what have you and there they go um but uh so, you know, like I said, you there it's fleshed out a little bit, well, quite a bit more in many regards, but then ultimately you still kind of have the problem, and I know we're, we're jumping ahead a little, so I don't want to do it too much, but you do kind of have that problem that you have with some of the story in the later seasons because the show does move beyond the books. So there's only so much we really know about Bran in book, and there's only so much we really know about the Three-Eyed Raven. Here... Okay. is what I can tell you about the character and book who near as I can tell is what Max von Sydow and before him the other guy who was just hanging in the roots there who they just replaced because Sydow's probably more you know he's very much a better and more famous actor so why not but okay now wait touch on that again they um, when did they replace well when he first gets to that cave if you'll recall and I think that was at the end of season four yeah you, you know, he goes into the cave and there's like weird guy hanging up guy in the roots, roots. Okay. tree wizard man talking to him. That's not obviously not Max von Sydow, but then when it comes back, they recast characters Max von Sydow. It's okay. one of those times when they I recast somebody it. and they just kind of let it go and just enough for- time passed, nobody cared, nobody I forgot yeah. about that. Well, they do that later too with... Uh, they did it with Dario and Harris. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think those are the only two like big glaring examples of it. That was a it. big one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, you know, they gave this guy a huge central arc throughout that season and then it comes back and it's like, huh, you look totally different now. <laughs> Alright then. But yeah, uh, regarding the identity of the Three-Eyed Raven and again, show takes few liberties... One huge one being they never really tell you. It's just, this guy's a three-eyed raven. Enjoy! He lives in roots. Yeah. He's a tree wizard. <laughs> a tree. I Why can't... I every time stuff? I see him, I, there's just this one line from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. It's like this crazy homeless guy standing out there. I was like, I'm a, I'm a tree wizard. <laughs> I remember when but I first it's like, saw It that. always stuck with me when I... The first time I saw that, that was the thing that went flying through my head. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I just remember laughing when I saw him for the first time. I was like, oh, there's... He's living in the tree. I'm like, what? Or is the tree living in him? Oh, ooh. Anyway. (laughs) It is Game of Thrones. Which actually, in a twisted sort of way, yeah, in the books, that's exactly what you're dealing with. But, um, (laughs) again, uh, 
I mean, what what is since he, we're assuming everyone he, here has uh, watched the show, you know, you know, kind of the show equivalent. They don't really give you a name; they just call this guy the Three Eyed Raven. At some point, he says something, you know, like indicating that he's been around for a thousand years. That's where the fun comes in, because I assume, and I'm going off the book mythology here. Uh, of course, the funny thing is, in the books, we arguably know less. It's weird. In some ways, we know more about Three-Eyed Raven. In some ways, we know less. Because, again, a certain someone, George, hasn't gotten around to finishing his books. Well, let me ask you this. That's is, right. I'm a mad gal on the internet who's mad about him not finishing his books. Is and the Three-Eyed Raven, too. let's say the Tree Wizard, because I think that's the best name for him. I'm a Tree Wizard. <laughs> is that more of a scene that, if you had read the books, you're like, okay. As opposed to just being a viewer like I was and going, what is happening here? <laughs> I mean, because I was well, kind of funny. You should mention that. I was I was thrown for a loop. As well, they say. <laughs> here's the thing. It's like, what's happening? There's side novel. Well, not side novel. Side novellas, I should say. As I mentioned earlier, you have kind of like you know, you have the big old book of you know the history, which yeah. will probably be obsolete by the time he finishes the series. You have Fire and Blood Volume One, and then you have like the uh, little. The novellas. The, I think your wife has the copy. The Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Yes. That's the, the Duncan Egg story. That's the one she's reading. And there is a character in there named Brendan Rivers. He is one of the uh, great bastards of, I believe that's Aegon the Unworthy, the fourth, who, let's say, had predilection to uh, cheat on his wife. <laughs> wee bit. Just a tad. And then, like, his dying act was to, like, legitimize all of them, and that started technically a second Targaryen civil war, which <laughs> oh my God, didn't involve dragons, because they're all dead by that point. What a troubled but, family. Yeah, I know. It's almost as if incest is a bad idea. <laughs> Who would have thought? But, yeah. but again, and I hate to say it, but that's one of the kind of key things, is, again, you need Valyrian blood for dragons, and what's the best way to keep Valyrian blood? So, yeah, yeah. there's that sort of trade-off. But, anyway... Um, but, okay, uh, I believe it's varies in the main series as the Master of Whispers, you know, on the small council. Yeah. Okay. Brendan Rivers was the Master of Whispers of one of the kings, and again, there's so many Targaryens, so many Targaryen names, if I'm not sitting here with, like, a wiki of ice and fire open, <laughs> I can't tell you all of them. <laughs> yeah. They, you know, it all gets lost in shuffle. But, but there's somebody okay. out there that can. Yeah. But Brendan Rivers... <laughs> did something at some point and was forced to join the Night's Watch. Um, considering he was a master of whispers, and as we've seen how things go from that, you know, I mean, Varys himself served like a handful of kings. Yeah. He served, I believe, Ares before the series even starts, then Robert, then we'll put quotes around served Joffrey. The master of whispers is basically the spy master, you know, the the equivalent, I guess you'd say, kind of like the head of the CIA in its own sort of weird, twisted way. Speeding the king, what he's... And as such, oftentimes, maybe not above the board on a handful of things that they do. And occasionally will do what is in the best interest of the realm as opposed to what is in the best interest of, say, the person that they're technically directly working for. And sometimes that comes back to bite them. Well, Brennan Rivers, you know, uh, he was an albino. He had one eye... The joke was, like, how many eyes does he have? A thousand eyes and one. Indicating, like, all the number of eyes he had on whatever given subject. I believe his mother was rumored to be a sorceress. He was rumored to be a, you know, 
sorcerer engaging in magic and this, that, and the other, and blah, 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 whatever. He gets shipped to the wall. Again, I don't believe the story spells that out directly, but he does figure into one of the Duncan Egg stories, so you know who he is. Yeah. And it's established that I think he ended one of the first Blackfire Rebellions by basically somewhat treacherous means. Like, I think everybody's out in the field and, like, he basically fired a bunch of arrows on them as opposed to, you know, ending it honorably and nobly by stabbing a guy in the front. But, uh, so, you know, like I said, for whatever reason, and we're not really sure what that is yet, I believe he becomes Lord Commander at some point, but I can't remember. And then at some point he goes beyond the wall and disappears. Well, when, if you're just reading the books, you know, the novels, when you get to it, you don't know what you're looking at. It's actually quite a bit like what you're describing with the show, where you're just sort of like, uh, okay, so there's this dude with a bunch of roots going through him. <laughs> Nasty. Yeah. And of yeah. course, like in the book, you have the one, you know, because he's missing the eye, you have like one root growing out of the eye and everything's like, ugh. And, uh, well, that whole scenario yeah. with the children mm-hmm. in the forest and everything, he's just like, Wait, huh? But it's like I, when you're reading, but like I said, if you've like read the you know prequel novellas, which yeah. of which came out before book five, you're familiar with that character. So the minute they start describing it, it's like, oh, so, and again, Brendan Rivers, he had a nickname, Blood Raven. That's what they primarily called him. But it's like the minute you see him, or they start, start describing this character, the Three-Eyed Raven, it's like, oh, that's Blood Raven. Like, you'll immediately, you know, he's got one eye, it's red, he's an albino, blah, blah, blah. And he's basically, I'm trying to think of a way to put this. You get the impression in the books that he's less animated. Almost like he's just sort of, like, just sitting there and, like, the roots are sort of just, you know, like, he speaks. But it's, like, almost like not he's talking, like, a voice issues forth, kind of. He's kind of like the, he's kind of like the alien in Independence Day. Yeah, sure, let's go with that. Why not? <laughs> but, I mean, you get my point. Like, yeah. just kind of sitting there, you know, almost... I'm trying to think of the word for it. Almost, like, in a catatonic state, and just almost like a voice just kind of comes forth. It was kind of the way I took it. Yeah. But the impression that I've been given just kind of from the books, and like I said, the show sort of hits on this, but not really, is that... He is not the first Three-Eyed Raven. It's not like he just went up and just became this thing. It's like the Three-Eyed Raven is something that dates back to, like, theoretically a time before men were in Westeros, a time before the White Walkers were created. You're back to the Children of the Forest. I think the other thing they may call him in there is the Last Green Seer, which is a whole other can of worms. It's That's what Jojen was, was a Green Seer. Okay. You know, who basically... Yeah. The ability to tell the future, that kind of thing. That kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah, it's yeah. there are so many things that they couldn't expand upon necessarily, but And I mean again, a lot of that's time and budget, but yeah, yeah. you know, it's like if I had to say that there is one thing that I wish I would prefer they had done a little bit better of a job on on this show, really, it would be covering kind of the supernatural elements and stuff like that. Because there is a lot about brand that it's like gun to your head, you've seen every episode a hundred times. What happens here? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, going I don't back, know. To, going back know. to what I said a second ago about the children of the forest. Yeah. I remember when that scene happened, the show really goes from, I mean, you know, it's a fantasy show. I mean, there's dragons right. hinted at. It really goes from like, okay, it's a fantasy show, but it's kind of, I don't know. It, it kind was, of takes a backseat to like the political intrigue and the human drama. Yeah. And then it's like, and then it's like whoa. Now we're, we're str- going into the. We're straight up, uh, yeah. you know, I don't know. 
but and we're that's when we kind of leap into the deep end. Super and, fantasy, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's and uh, forest children shooting uh, mm, beams at people or the whatever their fireballs or whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I think that was a show only thing, but yeah, <laughs> I was sort of. I don't know, Martin. I remember somebody said something about children of forest being elves, and he took offense to it. It was like they're not elves. Elves have been done to death. Blah blah. blah. And it's like pixies. I, I see know. his point, but at the same time, it's like for all points and purposes, they're elves. He just refuses to call them elves. Yeah, you know. And hey, whatever. It's your universe, man. You do you. Why? Maybe finish a book or two soon. Just saying. Why is the three eyed raven in the tree necessary? I mean, because I mean that's certainly not something Brandon's. That's one of the well, chilling out. <laughs> I mean, he stays there for a while, but. Well, funny thing is, I don't know. Left his own devices. You know, you're dealing with somebody in a wheelchair. Maybe he would have eventually, but you know, yes. things kind of took a turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the thing. It's like it doesn't really explain it in book, but you sort of get the impression. You know, remember touching the weirwood roots is kind of one of the big things here, and it's almost as if this dude just sort of. I'm trying to think of a way to put it. Almost like vanished into that and never quite came part of it. Yeah, never quite came out of it. Yeah. You know, and like he's cognizant, but it's like he's been there for so long that the roots just kind of took form around him and, you know, grew through him and all that. And again, that's one of those things they never quite really explain in the show either. And like I said, I don't really, you know, there's a lot, like I said, the books haven't really gotten into huge detail on that either um it is at the cave i think that i don't know if that's the first i don't think that's the first time that he wargs hodor i think he does that kind of around maybe the same time of the show where it's like he does that er i be I might be wrong but i think he does that earlier in the season when um i know he does it in their show looking for like, him and they're up in the castle mm -hmm. and they're hiding from someone i don't remember who it is but i think he works mm -hmm. in the hodor there to keep hodor quiet and i remember uh yeah i think that's when they're at the castle the one that's, like, by the wall somehow. Like, when yeah. they're going this way and John's going this way and they just barely miss each other. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I do not remember, and they encounter Sam, I believe. That's in the show, at least. I think the books went a little differently, but I think that might, I think that part is basically the same. But, you know, that's another one of those things, because I remember being a key thing for Jojen, like, use word to dude. You're not <laughs> supposed to be able to do that. Kind of continuing on with what the Thread Raven is for just a second. And again, we don't have a lot of material to go off of here, but this is kind of, I think, the best way I could sum it up. It's some sort of entity. It dates back to the children of the forest. And it seems like it basically has, I guess you could say, hosts. Like, here's yeah. a person, and they're the Three-Eyed Raven for a while. And then, you know, I guess they start calling out to their replacement. And then the analogy I've always used for it is basically kind of like an iPhone. That'll, that might sound kind of stupid, but yeah. yeah, you'll get the point. It's like, okay, whenever you got your first iPhone, okay, or let's just say you had you had the first iPhone, okay, well, you know, eventually it gets old, it gets broken down, whatever. Upgrade. Yeah. It stops charging something. <laughs> Time to get a new iPhone, okay? Yeah. Well, you take this brand spanking new iPhone and you upload everything that you ever had on that one, okay. for the most part, up onto this one. It's the best way to explain it. <laughs> and then, you know, a couple years later, another phone, same process, blah, blah, blah. And now you're carrying around a phone that still has stuff on it from way could, back when. Could, I think that's basically the best way to describe how the Three-Eyed Raven works. But I don't know what exactly the Three-Eyed Raven is outside of, you know, they said the memory of humanity. But, again, the books really didn't spend a lot of time explaining that. And the show 
kind of, sort of tried, but never really just... Like, they said that, but they never really went all the... Yeah, it, it definitely it, it like, definitely leaves it very vague, because they bring yeah. up some of these moments, like you said, the memory of humanity. You're like, uh, huh? <laughs> what do you... T- I mean... And I hate to say it, but, like, that's one of the things that, like, I was sort of dreading talking about, because it's, like, thinking about the Three-Eyed Raven and trying to make sense of it sometimes almost gives me a headache. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. Uh, it's definitely something you have to just take and not really think about it too like, much. what is he on a tree? Was, no, he's an encyclopedia. What the fuck? But, I yeah. Nice little Westerosi Wikipedia. I don't know. Um, <laughs> anyway. But the point is, yes. So, Bran eventually, you know, becomes... Uh, you know, Thread Raven, and somewhat under duress because uh, while he's doing what he's doing, you know, he's touched by the Night King. You know, his mock is left upon you. Whatever, blah blah yeah. blah. Which again, this uh, this is at the point where we've moved beyond the books. So it's like I don't have anything in book to tell you from that one. Uh, in book, mostly he wargs Hodor, walks around in the cave and whatnot. And yeah, I think you had some questions about Hodor. Well, so. let's um. I kind of want to wrap up the uh, first episode here with Hodor. Mm-hmm. I think let's end it with that. Bran, you know, turning into the Three-Eyed Raven is ultimately... Oh, that's where it gets confusing, because he... <laughs> he breaks Hodor, basically. Well, his mind. Yeah, but purposes. he breaks him in the past as the current Three-Eyed Raven. And uh, that explains Hodor's current situation i mean is that sure right or? why not <laughs> again i mean it's one of those things that's very hard to explain yeah, it's like yeah. i've been you know for years you know trying to sort of like puzzle that one out and it's like and you know a lot of people i remember their takeaway from that was oh well that means time travel's on the table and it's like well if it is i ain't where they went so what that's worth but seemingly you know there came a point you know like i said the idea was that uh, Blood Raven, or just the Three-Eyed Raven in the show, whatever you want to call him, the point is, you know, going to slowly, you know, complete the process and, you know, make Bran the new Three-Eyed Raven. Yeah. Then, you know, encountered the Night King, however, Mark put upon him, Kate, who is no longer safe. And now the Three-Eyed Raven has to do basically a rush job of it and quickly make him the Three-Eyed Raven, which in a way kind of messes Bran up, too. That's, that's After that, that's when you have him just kind of like, do you th- I don't want anymore. <laughs> that's true. I didn't think about that. Do you, you know, think that's I think that kind of screws him up a little? Pretty much. Because, yeah. I mean, if you look at the other guy, he didn't have any of these. <laughs> he was a little more sociable. And, I mean, granted, if you look at the one in the book, at a little less so, but, you know, still, but he's still able to communicate and whatnot. And yeah. Bran is, too, but it's like, it almost gives you the impression, and I'm just going off the show logic here for sure, that, you know, the process maybe went a little faster than it should, and maybe there's a little less of Bran left in there after than there should be. Like, it's still Bran, but he's not quite yeah. right. And, of course, while that's all happening, he's warging into Hodor, apparently, while also standing in the past, staring at Winterfell, staring at Hodor... So somehow or another, it's almost like connecting those two moments, like, I guess, I think if I recall in the scene, and doesn't Hodor, like, look over at him or something, almost as if he's seeing him? I believe so, yeah, it kind of, yeah. Either that or, like, he's staring at Hodor, and it's almost like, you know, you hear, you hear people screaming for Hodor, and, you know, hold the door, and this, that, and the other, and it's like, 
basically snaps the mind of like young Hodor and you know starts screaming hold the door hold the door hold the door and then into Hodor and then ultimately reason because he was the one who had to hold the door and protect Bran as they're being taken back the other way south to stop from being massacred well he winds up getting killed by all the whites and all that but like you were saying that's one of the things where it's like uh, I, I've seen that scene countless times. I, I still am not real great at explaining or even making well, I mean, sense of what happened because a lot of where a lot of people thought it was going to go, it never went. You know, it's like, oh my god, time travel's on the table. It's like, yeah, not really. Yeah, that's not where they, yeah, they didn't go with that. It, it's like, it's almost like through Bran and through the process, you know, Hodor at that point was able to, in some twisted way, witness his own death. Okay. Or witness his own future, and it's like it broke him. But, like, that's really the best I could do to explain it. I think it's a great point. Because, I mean, a lot of these things are brought mm-hmm. up that... I mean, I, I mean I'll mean, i admit, I haven't gone back and watched Game of Thrones beginning to end mm-hmm. since the finale. I mean, I have I have gone back and watched episodes. Mm-hmm. But... I don't think I've ever done... Well, a couple of years ago, I think maybe I did a fairly complete run-through. But, like, yeah. a lot of times it's just when I'm thinking about something, I hope I can watch one episode. Yeah, know, I've watched, like, key you. episodes. But, it, yeah, it is that does explain Bran a lot in the way that he interacts and the way that he is in that the previous three-eyed Raven might have had decades, you know, to get to that point. Yeah. And this one, or, you know, possibly... We had a week. And I mean, I I can say this much, at least in the books, like, okay, the character you're staring at in the books is 125 years old, so unnatural lifespan. Yeah. He'd been there a while character in the show they mention is a thousand years old again i'm assuming he means he himself and not the entity because the entity you know i think you know the white walkers originally created something like ten thousand years ago in story so i'm assuming he's referring to himself so you know again that indicates that the three-eyed raven the entity is far older yeah but anyway sorry continue but no i mean that's that's basically it i mean i think that's a huge moment in the show in that Mm -hmm so much is thrown at you <laughs> once. I mean, now, the, but before that actual moment happens with Hodor, we are shown, I believe, or given an you know, indication as far as Bran being able to travel, you know, back in time, supposedly, or go back to well, previous memories. or Witness. Like, yeah. You can go back and take a look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's one of the things that the other one keeps yelling is the ink is dry, you know, indicating that, like, there's nothing you can do. But then you have those little moments where, like, he yells, you know, father, and Ned turns around as if he heard him. Oh, or true, yeah. There's a lot of things Bran can do that, like, when other people who do whatever he does witness it are like, you're not, what? You're not supposed to do that. Yeah. That's breaking the rules. What are you doing here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, sorry, that's a good example of it. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a good place to kind of start wrapping up on it on part one mm-hmm. of our uh, little series here. But, I mean, are there any other, I guess, thoughts on Bran that you want to throw out there? I guess my closing thoughts on Bran and, you know, obviously him being named King at the end of the show. Big surprise for everybody. I don't, that That's one of the few things I honestly think, generally speaking, almost nobody was expecting. Yeah. I'm still kind of weirded out by it, but... Uh, yeah, but. and again, and I think part of the reason that it feels so like, wait, what? Was because it doesn't, you know, like I said, they never quite really explained what Bran was. And to be fair, that's not on them. The creator has never really explained <laughs> what Bran is Imagine either. Imagine if they tried to... Yeah, there's, so, there's no way they could even try. You know, it's like even bullet points. Yeah. It's like, again, we watched the Hodor scene a thousand times. Like, what happened? I don't know. That's a good point. But how could they even attempt... Yeah, and I mean, you know, so... Without him having a book. Yeah, I don't 
really fault them. It's like, you know, kind of did the best they could with what they had. And, yeah. but, um, but as far as him being king, it's like, I think it's pretty obvious that that is the direction that Martin is going to go in in the books because it's almost so out of nowhere that it's like, well, what else could it be? No, he's not going to have a different king. Yeah. I mean, he's basically and I mean, said that. Actually, now that I've said that, I seem to remember there being an interview with the kid who, you know, plays Bran. Yeah. Who basically confirmed that, like, the creators confirmed that Martin confirmed that, yeah, Bran's king. And I will say, like, maybe the only thing that I can think of that's, like, some sort of a hint to it in the books in its own way is the first POV chapter that you ever read in the books, not counting, the ep- like, the prologue where the guys go into the forest and get massacred by the whites and the white walkers, yeah. is a Bran chapter. So it's very obvious Bran is important. It's the first character you read about. But... You know, I mean, obviously Martin's going to have two, maybe 3,000 pages worth of making this all make more sense where they had a handful of hours to kind of wrap a lot up. But I do think, you know, I think the only thing and, you know, kind of one of those doesn't really give you an answer, gives you more questions, you know, because it's like when you actually think about it, you know, first of all, putting Bran on the throne is a misnomer because there's no throne anymore, but it leaves you kind of with this isn't just a guy you know they didn't just pick a man and put him on the throne they put the three-eyed raven on the fu- on the throne they're kind of almost being ruled over by like a demigod yeah no, it's like that's not a good idea <laughs> well, huh, how could that go well and i mean i heard somebody refer to it and i haven't read dune but you know compared it to like i think in dune there's something called the god emperor which is basically like a kind of similar you know and that you have like someone who's kind of in the body of a man, but is for all point, you know, knows everything, yeah. et cetera. This, that, and, the, and that's probably about as good as a comparison as there is, but it's like, my feeling is that Martin will get there in such a way that it will maybe leave less head scratching and more, oh, okay, yeah, no, I get that. Like, yeah. where it's not, and I mean, granted, they moved beyond just being a simple kingdom. It's almost kind of more of a republic. You know, they pick a ruler, but... Yeah, like I said, that leads to more questions. Like, okay, so what does the next guy get to be Three-Eyed Raven too, or do we just let him kick off and pick a guy? Like, you know, like I said, just kind of leaves you with all these. Yeah, it doesn't. It won't. Brand live to like a thousand years old or something. I mean, I it's <laughs> a terrible decision. That one's yeah. The, the last one certainly did. He yeah. lived until the Night King cut him down. So just don't let him get in a tree. I don't know. Might need one. I might. I mean, I think, that, that's another thing though. Part of you know his powers come from the Weirwood. So yeah. I think one of my favorite makes uh, you wonder. It's like, is he now so all powerful he doesn't need them? Because that's an even bigger. That's oh, even wow! Scarier. You know, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> one sorry. of my favorite yeah. memes with, uh, you know, Bran as the new king mm. is it said the new uh, the new king slayer, and it showed just a set of stairs. It's like, <laughs> wow, it's true. I mean, there aren't there, there's dark. There's not a lot of ramps in King's Landing. Well, there will be now. Yeah, that's true. Probably. <laughs> that's his first uh, first ruling. Of course, the other, you know, I didn't think about it, but another kind of tell on its own sort of way that maybe Bran, you know, winds up on the quote-unquote throne, again, despite there being no throne. He's the only one that's pretty much seated the entire time anyway. So, it's his throne. It's kind of a tell. Yeah. The new throne is basically a wheelchair. I'm going to hell for that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, let's, let's end it there, Matt. I think yep. that's a good place to end it. Um, we... There'll be a test next episode. Oh, goody. Yeah. <laughs> Bring your Scantrons. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll be back with part two, and uh, we'll see you then. Mm-hmm.